Welcome to another episode of Tell Me About Your Damn Book. I'm your host, Stephen Lomer, and my guest this week is a talented fantasy author with one novel out and another one on the way. Please welcome R.F. Keenan. Thank you very much, Stephen. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Uh, I will start with your bio, if that's fine. Absolutely. Okay. Raised on a healthy diet of science fiction and fantasy, you wanted to write something that would help inspire others to create something of their own. That bio, short and sweet as it is, doesn't tell us a thing about you, really. No, <laughs> so, that's true. So let's get to know you. Where are you from originally? So I actually grew up in Massachusetts, okay. but I wasn't born here. I was born overseas in Haifa. That's actually in Israel. Israel. So if you were to look at a map of Israel, you've got a large bay. On the tip of one peninsula is the city of Akka. Okay. On the other tip is the city of Haifa, which is a holy city for the Baha'i faith. My parents, who are both Baha'is, were actually working overseas in Haifa when they met. and. That's when they had my older brother, who's four years older than me, okay. and myself. Uh -huh. And then after having me, they said, well, we're homesick for the family and no one's actually seen the kids yet. We need to go back home. So my father being from Pennsylvania and my mother being from Massachusetts said, let's settle in the middle where we can kind of see them both families on a regular basis. You, you jumped right into the deep end with regard to book shows and cons and author fairs. How have those been so far? They've been pretty good, actually. Yeah? I wasn't entirely sure what to expect. My first show ever was Super Mega Fest. Mm -hmm. I had gotten in with a couple of other people at a table, and while we were sharing the table, we were all just staring around looking, where are the people? Hmm. So it turned out that was one of their lowest turnout days. Sure, of... sure, those happen. Yeah. <laughs> and it was the first beautiful weather after a miserable winter. Uh -huh. No one wanted to be inside, and I can't blame them. Sure. Sure. I kept wanting to walk outside and enjoy the nice <laughs> weather too. But so that one didn't go as well. Since then, I've really found that it's not just about being at your table, which is you've got to be there so that people can meet you, but you also have to make sure you're greeting the people you're working with sure. because your neighbor on the right and your neighbor on the left, you're going to know them for a long time. And that's been the most interesting part of the convention. So while I have had modest sales, enough that basically I've been making enough to keep the book going almost on its own at this point, mm -hmm. I have found much more gratification in meeting people. Before we go any further, I, I have a personal question. Absolutely. I don't know if the, the viewers are going to be able to discern this, but your glasses the lenses have like a yellowish tint to them. What's what's the story behind the yellowish tint? So the glasses I got actually have a special uh, modification to them, ah. which actually blocks out some of the blue light from TV screens, computers, even the sun itself. And so it actually reduces glare while you're driving too, which was an unexpected but very pleasant side effect. Huh. And it actually helps prevent headaches, eye strain. I get migraines personally, okay. so it's been very helpful over the whole spectrum because my day job requires me to sit for eight hours in front of a computer. Gotcha. And everybody asks about it. <laughs> I can't remember what the eye doctor called it. Okay. Um, the ophthalmologist I go to actually is one of a few in the area who does this particular 
modification to glasses. Uh -huh. Because if you go to say a lens crafters, what they do is they'll actually sandwich a pane of yellow plastic in between two lenses to make your whole composite lens. Okay. Rather than actually altering the makeup of your entire lens. Okay. And so this is far more effective. And now people won't be asking you because they can just go to this video <laughs> and they can have the explanation and now you don't have to bother with that anymore. Now it's, it's, now it's recorded for posterity. So that works out <laughs> nicely. Um, you recently got married. Yep. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, has your wife read your stuff? She has. We've been going over it. Um, obviously it takes a bit more time for her to go through the book compared to me just writing the whole book and knowing everything. So I'm actually on book two mm -hmm. and I've completed book two. Congratulations. Thank you. So the first draft just went before my beta readers. I'm working on my edits. It's going to go before my copy editor actually in a couple of months. I'm expecting August 1st. Okay. So I'm hoping before November, first week-ish, it should actually be available for sale on Amazon. Nice. And so her keeping up with it is not as easy as me just writing it all and going through it. Right. Um, which I tend to be a bit of a perfectionist on that. So you get really quick at reading when you need to read your book five times. Sure, sure. <laughs> yes, yes. You don't have to tell me. <laughs> what, what does she think of your stuff? She's thrilled I'm doing this. She's actually the main reason I'm doing this. I don't tend to be as confident of a person. I know it doesn't come off that way but I like to be friendly. So that part makes people think I'm confident. Uh -huh. And she really pushed me to write this. I refer to her as my muse. And it wasn't just that she told me I could write, which is something I'd never really allowed myself to do. Uh -huh. And she did do that. But she really said, okay, your stuff is good. Why not put it out there and let other people see it? Why don't you say, okay, here's my work. Is it good? Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, Authors are always saying, oh, well, my work is fantastic. Sure. And yes, I'm sure we all kind of feel at some point this is a New York Times bestseller that someone else had commented to me, oh, yeah, this person told me their book will unseat Harry Potter. I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, I've never had those kind of delusions of grandeur. I'm doing good. But our readers are really the ones who tell us this is quality. Mm-hmm because we're always gonna be biased, and that's to be expected. Sure. But the feedback we get from you, the audience, from you, the readers, is something that we really can't anticipate anywhere near as much as we might like to think we do. Very true, yep. And generally, I've gotten very good feedback, which has made me happy, mm -hmm. but she said, go for it. If it fails, it fails. But if you never try, how are you going to say it wasn't good enough? Wow. See, I should have interviewed her. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. Oh, well. Maybe next time. <laughs> See, my picture actually goes on most of the stuff, so people always assume I'm the important one. Ah, right. But it's clearly her. It's clearly her. <laughs> and I also always make it a point when I'm going to tables, and please, for the people who go to conventions, do this as well. While the artists and the authors are really important, say thank you to the people who are supporting them. They Amen do a that. huge amount, and I couldn't accomplish this without her. It's very it's, sweet. That's very, you know, I feel the same way about my wife. I could not do what I do without her. So this is a big thank you to all of our people behind the scenes who never get the glory. We love you. 
We really do. Thank you, Lisa. There's there's a lot of uh, fantasy out there. Yep. What do you feel sets yours apart? So, a lot of fantasy tends to get pigeonholed into one particular subgenre, and I think that's actually a true disfavor to fantasy in general. Because I think good fantasy should cover a broad range. You shouldn't just have a romantic subplot. You should actually feel like there's romance in the story. Mm -hmm. It might not be a Harlequin novel and fly off the shelves, but at the same time, um, one of the things that you have to recognize is real things happen. It's not just about the dragons, although the dragon on the cover is awesome. Sure. It's not just about the swords and the fighting. You still need to include those as the main aspects that people see the world as. Mm -hmm. And so I think of fantasy as being the world-building template that really defines where you're coming from. But you should have horror. You should have romance. You should have, in my book in particular, I'm looking at how a young boy grows up. Mm -hmm. um, the main character, Danan, is 11 when the story starts. And a lot of the journey follows him, really focusing not on the grand fantasy of the entire world, although that is in there as he's exploring it, it focuses on how he interacts with the world. Hmm. I try to make it about the individual story, and I try to make it sort of as an over-the-shoulder shot, so you see a lot of what he sees, you get to experience what he experiences, and when he starts seeing magic for the first time, or as the uh, book blurb says, when he sees a dragoness for the first time, he realizes this world is huge, and the little village he lives in just isn't as interesting as what's over the horizon. Hmm. And so you get to follow along and see how does he deal. For example, one of the reviewers I had some feedback from said, you know, my kid loved this book because when they saw him actually go to a sword school where he goes to learn how to defend himself, he got bullied. And although it's a fantasy setting, that's a very natural thing that even in real life, we all know, oh, I hate that feeling. Mm -hmm. And you get to see how he deals with it, how he feels afterwards. Huh. You get to really experience what's in some ways a very normal life, mm -hmm. while at the same time being an extraordinary life. Uh, your bio says you were raised on science fiction. What are, what are some of your favorite science fiction works? Uh, a lot of the science fiction works that I really loved when I was a child focused on other worlds. Mm -hmm. Not just, okay, humans have gone to the stars and now as we're looking at them, what is humanity's reflection in the stars? The ones that reflect, okay, humanity's on a different world. Mm -hmm. There are other species. How do we interact with them? Uh, one of the first series I grew up loving it was actually a trilogy to start with, and then, uh, I can't remember her name right now, so I won't absolutely butcher it. Okay. Um, she wrote another five, and it always focused on the interactions of three races. Humans, a race of cat people who were telepaths, sure. and a race of lizard people who at one point in history had actually enslaved the entire race of cat people hmm. over the entire uh, galaxy that they would fight in. And so the dynamics she set up between them, that was what fascinated me. And I constantly looked for that in science fiction afterwards. Mm -hmm. I wanted to know 
not just, okay, how are humans in the universe, but how do they interact with it? Because when we land on a foreign planet, we could be War of the Worlds. We get out there and say, oh, my spacesuit has a leak. It'll be okay. Oh my god, bacteria. <laughs> right, right, yes. And so for me, that was very much my focus in reading science fiction, is I wanted to discover that next horizon, just like Danan did. I don't tend to think of my character as a projection of me. I know everyone says, oh, which one's the author insert here? <laughs> I'd say none of them, actually. Hmm. I see emotions that I've experienced throughout my life uh -huh. during this book, during this whole trilogy, really. But I have never said, okay, this person is me. You can just copy and paste my face here and you've got something that I experienced. Right. I wanted to make... I wanted to follow a new character and see how that person developed. Because they really are people and that's what makes science fiction interesting because we go, oh wow, that character looks nothing like me because they're six foot five, they have claws and they're covered in fur. Mm -hmm. Or they go, <laughs> whenever they talk. But I want to know that person. Uh -huh. How did he wind up on the Millennium Falcon? <laughs> I thought that's who you were talking about. Sure, sure. I assumed so. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't want any copyright infringement, so that's fine. That, <laughs> that works out nicely. Um, well, as you know, we have a gimmick on this show that we are contractually obligated to live up to. Mm -hmm. So, R.F. Keenan. Tell me about your damn book. <laughs> the name of the book is actually Huntress of the Sky, and it's the first book in a trilogy. Currently, book two, Dragonbound, is in production, and as I said, we'll hopefully be ready for November. Okay. And it follows the young boy named Danan, who, as you see on the cover, sees a dragon for the very first time. And he's grown up in a hunting and logging village, so they have solid jobs, they're really working class people, mm -hmm. and he loves that. Because that's what he's grown up with, and he's really seen the better parts of his family and his community because they all hold together and especially in this novel one of the things you'll notice some books focus on wow there were 10 million people in that city no I don't do any of that crap <laughs> it's very realistic I try to approach it from okay science might not be the same in his world but it is consistent mm -hmm. and if you have 10 million people you have to feed them very true that's a lot of farming yeah that's true yeah and so this hunting and logging community he lives in is a very normal community and I try to outline his world as I go so that you see the everyday life of a normal person. Hmm. So when you see the dragon, you know, oh, every time I see something like this, this is really something that he never expected. This whole journey follows him as you see the juxtaposition of the normal everyday world where magic really isn't that common and then you see, oh, if I take a right instead of a left, I find a fairy ring or something similar from mythology where you didn't expect this to be here, mm -hmm. but you also realize how just like if we're going through our everyday lives, you could miss it. Sure. And so I really tried to get that feeling through the whole book. Okay. Because he's getting that feeling through the whole book. It's very much a sensation of this is something wonderful I've been exposed to. Mm -hmm. And you also start to find out, as wonderful it is, as it is, there are also 
parts that you'd expect to see from everyday life as opposed to the magical kingdoms of Narnia where nothing ever goes wrong until the White Witch shows up. Right, right, sure. And so I tried to make it so that everybody has their normal life. But even the magical creatures who have their normal life have different expectations from it. And so he starts getting caught between those two worlds. Hmm. Okay. And uh, you, you said Dragonbound is yep. uh, book two and you're shooting for November-ish, so we may actually have it in, in 2018? I expect completely it'll be ready for 2018. Nice. I'm actually hoping to have it ready before Black Friday. Okay. Good Christmas gift, anyone who has a fantasy <laughs> lover. Uh. Smooth. <laughs> <laughs> There's this one radio host I'm always hearing get yelled at for not plugging her stuff. Uh-huh. And so I tried to slide it in there. Sure, yeah, Just absolutely. under the radar. Hey, no question. You got to plug, so go right ahead. <laughs> uh, but I... Barring any meteorites striking the Earth or printing disasters, I expect it'll be ready well before the end of 2018. Excellent. Okay. And I'm expecting book three actually to be ready, I'd probably say, before the same time next year. So we have a segment on the show called Questions from the Great Unwashed. <laughs> there are... These are social media questions that have been submitted for you. Mm -hmm. They're a mixed bag. You never really know what you're going to get, so I will present them to you, and you can do whatever you like with them. All right? Awesome. Okay, you game? I am 100% game. Okay, excellent. Assuming I shouldn't make any explicit replies. You can uh, do whatever you like. No, go okay. ahead. Go right ahead. Just checking. No, no, feel free. Uh, Derek from Rhode Island asks, what would you name your boat if you had one? I would probably name my boat Tiamat. <laughs> so to, to get the reference, I, I read a lot of Dragonlance when I was younger. Okay. And so the first thing that comes to mind when I'm thinking of my boat is you've got nice gentle times, which if for people who are familiar with not only the mythology surrounding Tiamat, that we've created in present day because now she appears in all sorts of works of art uh -huh. in games like Dungeons and Dragons, in the books Dragonlance. Um, the only peaceful time is when you're making offerings. Uh -huh. And so you have a nice peaceful day when you take care of your boat. As soon as you stop taking care of all the ropes and everything, that's when a thunderstorm sweeps you off to sea and you're screwed. So <laughs> that would okay. be what I'd go with my boat. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. That makes sense. Good. Okay. Uh, Bitterpill99 asks, in your opinion, what's the most perfect book ever written? I really wouldn't be able to say there's a perfect book to me. Okay. Because there's such a wide variety. Okay. I would say... The ones that left the greatest mark were probably actually the Dragonlance series mm -hmm. because they cover plotting, they cover interracial dynamics because how do dragons who rule over the humans in many situations interact with them? How do there's a specific type of creature the dragons create? How do those who are nominally the enforcers of laws for the dragons interact with humans? It covers romance, it covers betrayal. I'd have to say the Dragonlance series as a whole for probably the first five or so novels. Okay. Really 
are something if you love dragons and you love fantasy, you should read. Okay. But no perfect book. No perfect book. Okay, that's fair. That's a fair answer. Uh, Reggie from New York asks, if you wrote yourself into your book, would you rather be a pixie, an orc, or a dragon? I would probably go with an orc. Okay. When it comes to sort of alignment disposition, for people who are a fan of role-playing games, they'll get the alignment restrictions reference. But if I had to go in terms of power and abilities, I'd go with the dragon because, especially like a world similar to mine, the dragons are actually divine beings, mm -hmm. even in the stories and the legends people tell about them. Mm -hmm. And so if I had enough magic that I could basically act like Zeus and turn into whatever I wanted, someone's being an irritant, yeah, I could blow them up or I could turn into a chipmunk and just leave. Mm. All right, that makes sense. Uh, and Mario from Philadelphia asks, if you didn't write, what would your creative outlet be? If I didn't write, I would probably go with art. The only reason I don't do art, in fact, is because I'm terribly handicapped when it comes to it in terms of I have a little bit of a shake, so I can't even draw a straight line. Oh. So while I can picture these beautiful landscapes and I can picture, for example, the cover of the first book, Huntress of the Sky, it's this beautiful surrealism mm -hmm. that I was actually able to communicate to the illustrator, a man named Ryan Durney, who's based out of Texas. Okay. Uh, shout out to Ryan. Fantastic job always. And I would love to be able to do that. But when you can't draw a straight line, it makes it very hard to capture the intricacies of a character. True. And yeah, you could say, oh, well, why don't you go with the Picasso route? You don't really need anything that makes sense. You can just use a ruler for the 25 straight lines that all intersect, but somehow make a nose. Mm -hmm. But no, I'd rather draw the kind of sweeping landscapes that you've really got from some of the old uh, painters and really made you say, I am here. And... I know what it would feel like. If I just concentrate, I can hear the crickets on the grasslands. I can feel the wind that's going through my hair as all of the grass ripples in the painting. Mm -hmm. And I would love to do that, but I'm unfortunately not that talented. Okay. All right. So I settled for writing. Okay. All right. <laughs> settle for writing. Okay. <laughs> Good. <laughs> there you go, Mario. He settled for writing. <laughs> And uh, my final question, this is the question I, I ask everybody who appears on the show. Okay. Um, it's 100 years in the future. Mm -hmm. uh, a young person goes into a library, approaches the librarian, and asks about R.F. Keenan. What does the librarian say about you? I'd like him to say it helps people learn their way about some of their own problems while showing them a world that can really stretch their imagination and inspire them to create something great, too. Excellent. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode of Tell Me About Your Damn Book. I would like to thank my guest, R.F. Keenan. The book is Huntress of the Sky, and it's available on Amazon. It's available on Amazon. It's available on Amazon. So thanks again for joining us, and cheers.